Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. As we take a look at Jonah chapter 2 this morning, uh, I want to tell you that one of the jobs that I did during the years in which I was in the car industry selling cars was the job of finance manager. Uh, Finance manager is one of the least popular people that you'll meet in the sales department at a dealership. If you've ever bought a car from a dealership before, the finance manager is the guy who prints and reviews all your paperwork with you after you decided to buy the car. And he's responsible for securing the financing or the credit approval. Uh, He prints and reviews the contracts with you. He's also the one who sells extended warranty products. Uh, And it's really a lot of responsibility. Um, One of the stores that I worked in hired uh, an outside firm to train us finance managers. And so for an entire week, we had to come from like 9 to 4 and study, and then on the last day of the week of the, the course, we had to be recorded doing a presentation with one of our peers. And needless to say, it was nerve-wracking thinking about being recorded. And my boss happened, happened to show up that day to watch the recordings being made. And I sat down, and we were doing a simulation of a sales situation in a finance office, and immediately I started off with a wrong pitch. And I realized that, and I go, oh, made a mistake. So I just stopped. I got up. I said, let's start all over again. And then we sat back down again, and I started into my pitch and did a pitch perfect that time. Well, um, my boss, after he saw the recording, was angry with me. And he told me, you know, I should have just kept on going, having made the mistake, rather than getting up. And I should have just stayed on track. And he didn't want me to have taken a second chance in that scenario. He just wanted me to make the best of the one chance that I was given. But I wanted a second chance and didn't really know I wasn't supposed to do that anyway. What about you? You ever wanted a second chance? Are there things that you've done or experienced in life that you wish you could wind back the clock, go back, start over, or at least get another chance to do it better? Most of us can probably think of circumstances and experiences in life which we would love to have a do-over. I wish I could go back and do that over again. In our story, Jonah got to the place where he wanted to have a second chance. We're working our way through the story of Jonah. Last week we saw how completely stubborn with God he was. 
Uh, he was a prophet of the Lord. He was commanded to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the leading city of the nation of Assyria. They were a threat to the future of Israel. Jonah wanted nothing to do with the people of Nineveh, so he booked a ship going the exact opposite direction, and then God sent a storm that prevented the ship from fulfilling its mission, and God and the sailors on the ship came to recognize that Jonah's, the, the Jonah's stubbornness against God was the cause for the storm, and so they tossed Jonah overboard, and the storm stops, the sailors are rescued, uh, but Jonah is thrown into the sea. And verse 17 tells us that God appointed a big fish to swallow Jonah. Now, the story of the big fish is probably what most of you remember when it comes to the story of Jonah. If you ever went to Sunday school, you learn about Jonah and the whale. And it may cause many people who read this story to say, well, you see, that's just another place in the Bible. It's just a silly fable. But Dr. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, responds to that reaction this way. Here's what he says. Despite the literary sophistication of the text, many modern readers still dismiss this work because the text tells us that Jonah was saved from the storm when swallowed by a great fish. He goes on to say, how you respond to this will depend on how you read the rest of the Bible. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ, which is a far greater miracle then there's nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. He says, certainly many people today believe all miracles are impossible. But that skepticism is just that. A belief that itself cannot be proven. Not only that, he goes on to say, but the text does not show evidence of the author having made up the miracle account. A fiction writer ordinarily adds supernatural elements in order to create excitement or spectacle or to capture reader attention. But this writer doesn't capitalize on the event at all in that way. The fish is mentioned only in two, two brief verses. And there are no descriptive details. It is reported more as a simple fact of what happened. So he concludes, let's not get distracted by the fish. We're told that Jonah survived three days in the belly of the fish. And then the fish vomited Jonah up on the shore near Israel and gave Jonah a second chance. Most of chapter 2 that we read together is a psalm. It is a poetic Hebrew song like many of the other books of the Psalms. <clears throat> it is a song of Jonah that is a result of his experiencing and receiving a second chance. And here's what I want you to notice today as we look at this passage together. The first thing is this. You don't always get or deserve a second chance. Secondly, 
God loves to give second chances. And thirdly, they should give us a thankful heart. So let's think about those things together. Firstly, you don't always get and you don't always deserve a second chance. Look with me at verses uh, 2 through 6. He says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now, notice how Jonah describes his situation. He uses a lot of watery images like he's drowning, which would have been true in this situation. He was. But he, it's also metaphorical. It's imagery which describes the way we experience life sometimes, isn't it? Have you ever felt like you were drowning in life? He talks about being driven from God's sight. He talks about going down to the roots of the mountains. You know where roots are? They're down in the ground. The, the roots of the mountains. How deep into the ground is that? To the land whose bars closed in on me, he felt he was imprisoned in the earth. His life was fainting away. Jonah had a near-death experience. He really knew he was in trouble. He knew that God was disciplining him for his rebelliousness. He knew that he didn't deserve a second chance. Look at verse 3 again. He says, For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, God, and your billows passed over me. God had cast him into the deep. God's waves and God's billows were the ones that were passing over him. Jonah recognized himself as receiving in himself what he believed that he deserved from God. And he would have been correct. As a prophet who had disobeyed a direct command, he had directly dishonored his God. And yet, notice verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Verse 7, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Despite what he knew he deserved, he cried out to God for help on the off chance that God would have mercy on him. And God did. We don't always deserve a second chance. We don't always get a second chance. 
Second chances are not a given. In some ways, my boss at the dealership was right. In real life, if I had messed up my introduction with a customer, I just would have had to try to fix it from there. That's why he was mad at me, because he wanted me to try to fix the one chance that I had botched. And one of the concepts that we struggle with at times is the concept of the justice of God. The idea that God knows all, that God sees all, that God rules over all, and he has a perfect perspective within time and also in eternity, and he will work his perfect justice against wrong and against harm. People struggle with God's justice when we witness a natural disaster. Why were so many innocents killed or harmed? Why didn't God stop it? People struggle with God's justice when a tyrant seems to reign unhindered, a Hitler, a Stalin, the tribal wars that we see in Africa, perhaps somebody like Putin, the way the poor are treated in this country and in others. Where, where was God? Why did he not seem to care? We want justice. We want righteousness. If there is a God, surely he is able to see and do right and punish wrong. But then we disagree with how God punishes wrong. We want him to deal with the people who wrong us. The ones we view as in the wrong. And we tend to be blind to our own wrongs. And we don't necessarily want justice for ourselves or for our wrongs. God is the God who somehow sees through it all with a perspective that is perfect and with a perspective that takes into account the economy of time and eternity in a way that we, being so mortal and so limited, cannot. God is good and God is just. Because he is good, he will do what is just. And because he is just, he will do what is good and punish wickedness in his timing. Jonah came to realize that for him to have died and drowned when he was thrown off of the boat for disobeying his God's command would have been justice. As a God follower who had so blatantly disobeyed his God and disregarded his plan for his life and disregarded the consequences of his actions on other people like the sailors, like his own countrymen, like the people of Nineveh to whom he was called to preach, Jonah deserved justice. To die would have been right for his actions. But when it comes down to his final moments, <laughs> he's still calling out to God for mercy. We all want mercy. We hope for mercy. We pray for mercy. We don't want justice, at least not for ourselves. But there's a freedom. There is a freedom that comes when we realize the justice we deserve and call out for mercy get what we don't deserve. That is wonderful.
And that humbled position, that's a humbled position to be in before our God. So don't resist being in a position in which you need to call out to God for mercy. Because God loves to hear those cries. He does. And that's what we see next is that God loves to give second chances. We see this in particular in verse 8. Look there with me. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, this verse appears to be a statement by Jonah judging those who would worship idols or false gods. God is right to judge such people who do not worship him in truth. But it is perhaps a more compassionate view of those who worship wrongly in ignorance. He says that those who worship empty idols, those who worship non-gods, they forsake or they miss out on steadfast love. When people turn to false gods, they leave something else, they leave something that is better. There is a quality about the true God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God we now understand to be a tri-personal singular God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When people worship a lesser God, they, they miss out on God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word here translated steadfast love is the word chesed. Can you say it with me? Chesed. Not hesed. It's guttural. It's a You've got to go to the back of your throat to dig it up a little bit. It's chesed. Yeah, there we go. Give yourself a hand. Now, that is a, a very unique word in the Scriptures that conveys both affection and contractual commitment. It intimates concern and affection and tenderness and kindness, but it also includes commitment, binding, steadfastness, and truth. It is the word for covenant love. We sang, I know that you will keep your covenant In the ancient Near East, a covenant was a binding contract between a greater conquering king and a lesser subject king called a vassal. And the lesser king would be faithful to the greater king, and the greater king would be faithful to the, and the greater king would be faithful to support his vassal in the event that his vassal was attacked. The commitment that they made to know one another was called a covenant, and it mirrors many of the biblical covenants in the ancient Near East. God's love is covenantal love. His, it is His commitment to Himself. It is His contract with us because He is faithful to Himself. He has sworn to be committed to His people. Oh, there go my eyes even to his own pain and his own harm at times. It is like the commitment of a parent to a child. We love our children, even when they wrong us and disrespect us. We don't 
disown them. We, don't, we, we are faithful to them. We love them, and he is faithful to us and loves us. And sometimes he is so loving that he even gives us what we do not deserve, which is grace or mercy. So Jonah is saying that God has covenant love to people who don't deserve it all the time. Jonah was a recipient of God's love when he said, when God sent a fish that swallowed him for three days and then barfed him up on the shore three days later. God's mercy to Jonah, his covenant love to Jonah, his chesed was undeserved. God delights to give do-overs. God is a God who is full of mercy. The fact that God does not execute pure justice on us all in the world today is an act of his mercy. Every single day that we awake and breathe God's air and enjoy God's world and live in his world and live God's life, every single day is a do-over. But we only enjoy the do-overs when we recognize them as from his hand. You know, after marinating in the digestive fluids of a giant fish for three days, Jonah came to realize that going down with the ship, not drowning at sea, not running from his calling to preach to unworthy people, not opposing God and going the opposite direction, and having one more day not to receive justice, having a do-over, having a second chance, having a time to repent and to learn from his mistakes, oh, that was God's goodness and mercy to him. And Jonah's beginning to realize that God's mercy towards him is a wonderful thing. God's love is wonderful. God's love is to be enjoyed and celebrated. He was just as wayward as those who worshipped false gods. He had been missing out on God's covenant love, and he didn't want to do that anymore. Jonah was learning that God delights to give second chances. But notice what he learned in verse 9. Second chances give us a thankful heart. Second chances give us a thankful heart. He says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's heart has made a turn while he suffered inside the great fish. He had made a turn after he was returned to dry land. He wanted to worship God more freely. He wanted to worship God more willingly. He wanted to be able to go back to the temple and offer sacrifices like a good Israelite would. He didn't think of worship as a ritual or an obligation just to get done on Sundays. His work, his heart was now a heart with a greater degree of thanks, appreciation, and love for the God who loved him. 
When my two-year-old granddaughter stayed with us, Donna and myself noticed how she would ask for things and how she would receive things. And we started to coach her. When she asked for something, we would say, what do you say? Please. And when we would give her something, you would say, now what do you say? Thank you. And you know, anyone who's raised kids has gone through this ritual, teaching them to say please and thank you, trying to teach them how to have good manners. But how important is that really? How important is that? What we are trying to teach them is to be thankful when you receive something. A thankful heart and thankful words are the foundation of a happy and contented life. That's pretty important. The power of God's goodness and mercy towards us who deserve justice works in us a thankful heart. A thankful heart is a heart that has gratitude each day. A thankful heart enjoys what we do have rather than being jealous of what we don't. A thankful heart appreciates all that God does for us, from the sunrise to the air we breathe to the people we love. A thankful heart appreciates others and is grateful for them. A thankful heart recognizes that our lives are filled to overflowing with God's undeserved goodnesses. A thankful heart enjoys contentment and peace with God. A thankful heart can also be generous toward and accepting of others because we're humbled by how generous and accepting God is with us. A thankful heart has a new attitude towards God and His commands for us. We recognize that God's commands are good. He commands what is best. He calls us to a new and a higher way of life than we would normally expect of ourselves. It's not a way of guilt. It's not a way of shame, but it's a way of truth and holiness and goodness. We know that God is good and we know His commands are good and so we embrace those commands with a thankful heart and we choose them over our own selfish alternatives. Second chances generate thankful hearts. Jonah learned that reality deep within, and we may notice there needs to be more from him. There needs to be a lot more from him. He's not done yet. But he's in the school of holiness with God, and he's learning the lessons each time God gives him another chance. How about you? There goes my eye. Jonah chapter 2 is a, a story and a song about second chances. And here's what we've seen. You don't always get or deserve a second chance. 
but God loves to give them. And they should produce in us, they should work in us as the fruit of second chances, a thankful heart. In the biography of Jesus known as Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, we see a scene in which some scribes and Pharisees answer Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus indicates that three days that Jonah spent in the belly of the fish well, they mirror the three days that Jesus spent in the heart of the earth, in the grave, in Sheol. Jonah almost died, but rose to preach again. Jesus did die, but was resurrected to proclaim the message of eternal life. Jonah was a tremendously faulty prophet. Jesus was an even better resurrected Savior. Jonah almost died for his own sins. Jesus died for sins that were not his own so that he could take ours away. Jesus died for sins that were not his own so that he could take ours away. In reality, the ultimate reason that God can extend second chances to us is because Jesus died for our justice. The punishment that we deserve for our disobedience falls on him. He took it all upon himself. And what we deserve fell on Jesus, and Jesus rose to give us new and thankful hearts. And the life of the Christian, even more, even more than the life of Jonah, is to be filled with thanksgiving for the infinite mercy God has extended to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus took all of our judgment upon himself so that we may be free from judgment. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us a whole new heart of gratitude deep within, planted within, taking out the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. He came to set us free from our desires and longings to disobey and to give us a gratitude and a hope to obey. The Christian life is at its very core a thankful life for all that God has done for us. Thanks, Lance. That thankfulness is to overflow in a life of mercy, in a life of compassion, in a life of kindness towards other undeserving folks 
like ourselves. The love of our Savior for us becomes the thankful love that we can share with other people. Do you enjoy, do you enjoy your second chances? Can you offer wonderful second chances to other people as well? That's where God is taking us, not only in the book of Jonah, but in the journey of life. Let's pray. We sang this morning, Oh God, oh God, I need you. Oh God, oh God, I need you now. How I need you now. You are the same God. The God of Jonah who brought him back from the deep. The God of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who brought him back from the dead. And the spirit that was poured out upon Jesus when he was baptized is the spirit you've poured out upon us as well. The spirit and the gifts are ours, we sang. Lord, grant us the spirit's fruit, compassion and love and kindness, holiness, purity. Grant us the heart of our risen Savior who delights to give us so much mercy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.